I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be in verse 20 today. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We're going to, be, uh, we're going to have the scriptures behind me on the screen. Uh, I want to say welcome to Austin Stone. We're so glad you're here. Uh, if this is your very first time, we're really glad you're here. And um, we want to say welcome to the other campuses that are meeting around the city right now as we speak. We're so glad that you guys have joined us at our other campuses. A little uh, note of warning for you this morning. Um, I may be a little slow and my language may be a little bit um, cluttered. I got a concussion two weeks ago. And uh, if you think, Matt, how did you get a concussion? I was coaching junior high football and I got a concussion. And uh, I'm not going to bore you with the story, but you think, how in the world do you get a concussion coaching junior high football? Well, he was a big eighth grader. That's all I'm going to say. And um, I, I am, my brain capacity is better. That's why I didn't preach last week. I, I tried to write sermons, couldn't do it. And so if I'm having to stick kind of close to my notes or I say something really stupid, then y'all just forgive me today, if you will. But uh, let me read Ephesians 3.20 to you. We're uh, continuing our series that we're calling Far More. And this is the verse that the series is based on. In verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And the whole point of this, this series is that over the last 12 years, we've, we've seen God with our own eyes be true to his word. At the beginning of the church, when it was just me and a couple of families and a handful of college students, we used to pray a prayer. We would pray, God, would you do something in our midst that's so significant that when we look back on it, the only thing that we can attribute it to is the power of God. We used to pray that prayer, God, would you do something so significant that when we look back on it, we can't attribute it to us. And also some God has answered that prayer. He has done far more abundantly than anything we could have asked for, anything we could have dreamed of. And now what this series that we're doing right now is all about is asking God and saying to God, God, we believe that your power is not exhausted. We believe that you are not done moving on this planet through your people. God, we believe that you're going to continue to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think of in all kinds of places all around the world. And Lord, would you consider continuing to do it through us? And so we're asking God that he would do a work through us in the next 12 years that when we look back on it, we can only attribute it to him. Now, here's what I want to do today. Here's what I look at today. Ephesians 3.20, I want you to hear this. Ephesians 3.20 is really a verse about the power of God. That's what it's about. It's a verse that describes the power of God. And we're going to look at it piece by piece today. And as we do it, I want you to ask yourself this question. I want everybody here, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do I believe that God is as powerful as Ephesians 3.20 says he is? Do I believe in my heart of hearts that God is as powerful as the scripture says in Ephesians 3.20 that he is? And if I do believe that, if I do believe that, does my life reflect it? That's the question that I want you to ask yourself today. So let's jump in. Let's look carefully at the first thing that Paul says when he's describing the power of God. Look at Ephesians 3.20, verse 20. He starts off, we're going to get the very first part of the statement here. Go ahead and put that up there, guys. It says, now to him who is able 
to do. And I just want to stop right there. Now to him who is able to do. Paul begins the verse with a very simple statement about the power of God. Just a very, very simple statement about the power of God. He, he's simply reminding us this, that our God is a God that does things. Our God is a God that does stuff. With, with those eight words right there, Paul is reminding us that our God is a God that's alive. That our God is a God that's active. That our God is a God that is at work. He says, now to him who is able to do. Now that's simple, but it's profound in its simplicity. And it begs the question, if our God is a God that does things, what is it that he is able to do? And he continues, he says it in the next slide. Go ahead and bring it up, Ephesians 3.20. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think of. When Paul is describing the power of God, he says, this is what God is able to do. He's able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. Now, I want to look at that phrase for a second, far more abundantly. All right, that's an interesting phrase, far more abundantly. The word abundantly in the Greek is a very descriptive word. It kind of gets limited by the English language. The, the word uh, abundantly in the Greek, it's a, it's a word that carries with it the idea really of this, of, of super abundance, super abundance in quantity and quality. It doesn't just mean um, more, like abundant. It means super abundance in quantity and quality. And so a more descriptive picture of what Paul is saying that God is able to do would be this. Now to him who is able to do far more super abundantly in quantity and quality than all that we could ask or think of. Now here's the question. Why, why does Paul use this over-the-top, hyper-descriptive language when speaking about the power of God? Why, did, why does he use this over-the-top, super-descriptive language when describing the power of God? I think there's two reasons. Number one... I think he's attempting to describe the indescribable. When he's describing the power of God to us, I think he's trying to put words to the indescribable. You kind of know what I'm talking about. Have you guys ever been to the mountains or, or ever seen a sunset that just blew your mind, the beauty of it? And then you tried to put words uh, to describe to other people what it is that you saw. I don't know about you, but I, when I saw something, some beauty that really blows my mind, I've always uh, had trouble finding words to articulate to my wife or to my friends the beauty that I saw. I say things like, well, it's, it's beautiful or, or it's amazing, but those words don't ever quite fully paint the picture. Okay, I think that's what's going on here. Is Paul is trying to describe the indescribable. So he uses words like super, abundantly, far more than we can ask or think. The other thing that Paul's doing is this when he's using this hyper-descriptive language, is when he's doing that, he's conveying the confidence he has in just how powerful God really is. He's trying to describe his confidence in the ultimate power of God. It would be like this. Man, if I were to come up to you, somebody here, and, and ask you this question, if I were to come up to you and say, do you think you could do 10 push-ups? If you were confident in your ability to 10 push, uh, do 10 push-ups, you would say, you would probably answer the question, yes, I can do 10 push-ups. But if you were really confident in your ability to do 10 push-ups, 
If I asked you that question, you might answer, yes, Matt, I can do more than 10 push-ups. But if you were really, really confident in your ability to do 10 push-ups, if I asked you that question, hey, can you do 10 push-ups? You might look at me and say, Matt, actually, I can do far more than 10 push-ups. But here's the question. How confident would you have to be if I came up to you and asked you the question, can you do 10 push-ups, that your response would be, Matt, I can do far more super abundantly in quantity and quality than 10 push-ups. You'd have to be pretty stinking confident in your push-up ability to make that kind of statement, but that's the exact statement that Paul makes about the power of God. He doesn't come to us in the scripture and say, hey, I want you to know that God can do more than anything you can ask or think of because he could have made his point by making that statement. He doesn't come to us and say, hey, you can do, or rather God can do far more than anything you can ask or think of because he would have definitely made his point in that, what he says to us. Paul is so confident in the power of God that he says, I want you to know that our God is able to do far more super abundantly in both quantity and quality than anything you can ask him or think of. That's what he says about the power of God. And so it hit me this week when I was studying this that we mistitled our series, right? We've got, this is what the series title is. We titled it Far More. Kevin came up with that. It's brilliant. It's great. But it hit me. This is what we should have titled it right here. Go ahead and show that. Super abundantly far more in quality and quantity. That, Kevin, that should have been our, sorry, man. But that's a little long. But now you know and you get the point. But that's it. That's what Paul is saying God is able to do. Now, let's look at the next part of the verse where Paul tells us what it is that God is able to do far more super abundantly in both quantity and quality. Look at Ephesians 3.20 again. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than what? Than all, that's a powerful word right there, all, than all that we can ask or think. Now last week, Tyler did a fantastic job of, of, of walking us through that word ask. He taught us that we have access to this super abundant, far more power of God, but we've got to ask for it. Tyler talked to us about that, we, that, that prayer is what allows us to have access and experience this power of God in our lives. But, but there's another word here in this phrase, in this scripture that I want us to focus on with the rest of our time we have today. And it's this, read it, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. Look at that word, think. Paul is making the claim God can do far more abundantly than all than you can ask or think. That's a powerful, powerful phrase. What Paul is saying to us is that God is able to do super abundantly more than anything we can even imagine, that we can even think of. All right, now for the believers in the room, I want to ask you a question and, and think about your, yourself and your past. But has, has there ever been anything that you've ever dreamed or imagine that God could do through your life. And a lot of you guys are young and uh, have, maybe haven't been Christians for a long time. And have you ever stopped just for a short amount of time and asked yourself the question or imagined, how does God want to use my life for his glory? Have you ever imagined what he can do through your life? 
Some of you are older. You're middle-aged. You're in the second half of your life. Have, have you stopped as the second half of your life has come and just imagined, thought about, God, how could you use the rest of my days for your glory? Have you ever asked him that question? Have you ever dreamed or imagined how he could do, do that? And I think if we're honest, I think the answer for a lot of us in this room, if we're honest, would be no. We've never thought that. And, and, and my guess is that most people don't spend a ton of time thinking about or imagining how God could use their lives powerfully for his glory. And hear this. The reason that we don't is because deep down inside, I think a lot of us struggle to believe the claim of Ephesians 3.20. Can we just leave that up there? Can we put that back up there? I think we struggle to believe the claim of Ephesians 3.20. I think we struggle to believe that deep down inside. I think we don't spend a lot of time imagining how God could use us powerfully because in our hearts we struggle to believe the truth of that claim. I, I believe this. I believe that most of us in the room, when we read the scripture and we read about the power of God in the scripture, we believe it when we read it in the scripture. But at the same time, I think we struggle to believe that same power applies to you and to me. And I'll give you a couple of examples of that. If I asked you, do you believe that God has the power to bring revival to your neighborhood? I think the vast majority of us in the room would answer, yes, he absolutely has the power to bring revival to my neighborhood. But if I ask you this question, do you think God will bring a revival in your neighborhood through you? How would you answer that question? I think most of us would be a little bit more hesitant to just shout at the top of our lungs, absolutely. If I ask you the question, does God have the power to bring revival to your entire dorm or your entire apartment complex? Does God have the power to bring revival to your place of work? Does God have the power to bring revival to the University of Texas campus? I imagine everybody in the room would raise their hand and say, absolutely, God has the power to do that. But if I ask you the question, do you think God will bring revival to your entire apartment complex through you? I think most of us would be more hesitant to say absolutely. I mean, do you see that? We believe in the power of God when we see it and read it in the Bible, but we deeply struggle to believe that God wants to do that kind of stuff through us. And because, hear this, because we struggle to imagine and believe that God can do great things through us, we don't ask him to do great things through us. I mean, have you ever asked God this question? Have you ever asked God, God, would you use me to end sex trafficking in Austin, Texas? And make no mistake, there is sex trafficking in Austin, Texas. Have you ever prayed a prayer like, God, would you use me to end the orphan crisis in Central Texas? Have you ever prayed a prayer like, God, would you use me to bring the name of Jesus to an unreached people group who have never heard his name somewhere on the other side of the world? Have you ever prayed a prayer? Have you ever asked God to use you to raise up your children in such a way that they would change the world? Have you ever asked God anything like that? Have you ever asked God to raise you up to be a preacher of his word that's going to speak about his name to an entire generation? 
Have you ever asked God, would you bring revival to my workplace and do it through me? I think too many of you have never seen God do powerful things through you because you've never asked him to do powerful things through you. I wonder how often that God hears our prayers and he hears the stuff that we ask of him and we pray to him. I wonder how often he, he, he listens to those prayers and thinks, you know, those are just wimpy prayers. Do you have anything else? We pray stuff like, dear Lord, would you bless me? And God, would you keep me safe? God, would you help me to have a good day? And I wonder how often God hears those kind of prayers and and thinks, man, those prayers are great, but they're too small. They're too small. It would be like this. It would be like, if you could imagine this happening, it would be like if Bill Gates were sitting in a desk outside the door out here. And, and, and Mr. Gates said, here's the deal today, after the Austin Stone service, every single person in this room can come up to me, the richest man in the world, and you can ask me anything you want to ask me. And I may or may not grant your request, but make sure, Matt, that your people know, one, that I want them to ask me for anything they want, and two, let them know I have the power and I have the resources to make it happen. If that were really the case, that, that Bill was sitting out there, first of all, most of y'all would leave right now and go get in line. Sorry, Matt, but I'm done. And second of all, I have a hard time believing that you would walk out the door and he just said, you can ask anything you want and I got the power and the resources to make it happen. I have a hard time. You'd walk up to Bill and say, Bill, I don't want anything. I just want you to bless me. Bill, will you just bless me? Bill, Mr. Gates, I, I know you said we can ask for anything you want, but, but all I want you to do is help me have a good day. Would you please just help me to have a good day? Mr. Gates, I brought my lunch. Would you just bless my lunch? That's all I need right here. Would you just bless my lunch? I think Mr. Gates would probably look at you and say, you know, sure. I can bless you. I can, I can help you have a good day, but, but I can do more than that. I could do more than that. And I wonder if God ever hears us pray stuff like, God, would you help me have a good day? And he thinks, sure, I can help you have a good day. But did you know that I'm a God who can do far more abundantly than anything you can ask or think of? I think too many of us in this room have missed, we've missed the unbelievable joy and privilege of being used powerfully by God in our lives simply because we've never asked him to. We've never asked him to. And the reason we don't ask him is because we don't believe that he can or that he will. And so if that's you, honestly, if that's you, for those of you that struggle with believing that God can and wants to use you mightily for his kingdom, I want to read some verses to you from the Bible where the Bible describes who you are in Jesus And what the Bible said you would look like once you trusted in Christ. Okay, did you catch that? I'm going to read some verses to you. And all it is is the Bible saying this is who you are. And this is what you're going to do. And this is what you're going to look like when you come to Christ. Just listen to them. Matthew 5, 14. Jesus said, You are the light 
of the world. You are the light of the world and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. That's what Jesus said. In John 7, 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, <coughs> the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That word right there, be, it means this is what you're going to do. You're going to bring people to praise the glory of God. And Matthew, or rather Romans 6, 4, it says, we, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. In Matthew 16, 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And Jesus said, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 2,000 years ago, this is how Jesus described you. 2,000 years ago, this is how the Bible said you would look. It said this. It said that you would be a light shining, new life living, darkness overpowering, praise producing, river of life flowing, hell's gate trampling, victorious, unstoppable force in this world. That's what the Bible said you would be in Christ Jesus. I'm going to say it again. He said that you're going to be a light shining, New life living, darkness overpowering, praise producing, river of life flowing, hell's gate trampling, victorious, unstoppable force in this world. And so here's the question. The Bible just said that would describe you. The question is, does that describe you? Because if it doesn't, something's wrong. Either you're not a believer or you desperately need discipleship or if you are a believer and and you're getting discipleship, then it's quite possible that your lack of belief is hindering the power of God through your life. And so if that's where you are, we're almost done here, but if that's where you are, you're a Christian but you never ask God to use you in power. And the reason you never ask him to use you in power is because you struggle to believe that he will or that he can. I just want to read to you very quickly a little story. And it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Pay attention to this. This is, this is powerful. In, in Mark chapter 9, verse 17, it says, And someone from the crowd answered him and said, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And Jesus answered them and said, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw 
him, that's Jesus, when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it is often cast him into the fire and water to destroy him. Now watch what the father says. He says, but, Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. All things are possible, Jesus said, for the one who believes. And I love the Father's response. It's so appropriate for where so many of us are at right now in believing the power of God. In in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, it said, Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. And I wonder how many of us in the room right now, that needs to be our prayer today. God, I believe that you have the power to do far more abundantly than anything I can ask or think, but I'm struggling to believe it's true for me. So would you help my unbelief? God, I'd love to see my dorm come to Jesus, and I believe that you can do that, but would you help my unbelief? God, I'd like to see five of my unbelieving friends come to Christ this year, and I believe that you can do that, but help my unbelief that you can do it through me. God, I'd like to, I'd like to take the name of Jesus to, for the very first time to the botany people of Thailand, and I believe, God, that you can do that, but would you help my unbelief, believing that you can do it through me? God, I'd like to see my coworkers or my teammates come to Jesus in droves. And God, I believe with all my heart that you can do that, but help my unbelief that you can do it through me. What a prayer to pray today. And church, do not be shocked. Do not be stunned when our God, who is able to do far more super abundantly in quantity and quality than all that we can ask or think of begins to answer those kind of prayers in your life. Do not be, do not be shocked. I keep three pictures in my office um, to remind me of things. One is... The first is a picture of uh, me catching a quail with my bare hands out of the air. (laughs) Just to remind myself of my amazing redneck skills. Um, And if you don't, sorry, Kevin, I I just came out. I wasn't wasn't planning that one. But uh, you've never seen it, you you should. It's it's amazing. And the other other thing that, the other picture is the picture of Charles Spurgeon, which is the great preacher of the 1850s. And uh, it's got, under his picture, it's got an actual, not a copy, but an actual page of his sermon notes that he wrote with his hand and it's framed in my office. It's one of my most uh, prized possessions. And in that sermon, it says, um, it's called Faith and Repentance. And he said, if I die in the pulpit, I pray that I would die preaching faith and repentance in Jesus. And if I, if I die outside of the pulpit, I pray that I would die practicing faith and repentance in Jesus. And I keep that up on my wall to remind me what the calling is on my life, to preach faith and repentance in Jesus. There's another picture that I keep on my wall, and I want to show this to you. 
have it framed. It's right there. Um, it's a picture that was taken in the early 1900s in Cedar Creek up in, um, up in East Texas. And uh, that the pastor there on the left with his hand in the air is a, is a distant relative of one of our partners. And, and, um, and I keep this picture in my office because it reminds me of something. And if you look at the faces of those people, most of them are young. They're in their teens or younger than that or in their 20s. They're in their 30s. They're just doing church. And they've got their whole lives ahead of them. But but even though all those people in that picture are, are very, very different people, there's one thing that they all have in common. And that's they're dead. Every single solitary last one of these people in this picture is dead. They've gone home to be with the Lord and every day as I have quiet times and and I answer emails and I write seminary papers and I prepare sermons, those people stare at me and they remind me that my time on earth is like a breath. Just breathe on a mirror and stare and then it's gone. I keep that picture on my wall to remind me that my time that I have been given to make a mark on the Great Commission is going to come and it's going to go in the blink of an eye. And they remind me of that. And in light of that, I want, I want to say something to you today in light of this truth that our time is so limited to experience the far more superabundant power of God. I want to say something today that I think is probably going to upset some of you. And that's okay. But if you're here and you're not a believer, I want you to know we're glad you're here. We really are. We're actually thrilled that you're here. And we want you to stay as long as you need to stay here in this church to get your questions answered and come to the place where you um, believe or don't in the person of Jesus. If you're here and you are a young believer and you need to be discipled, you're growing and maturing in your faith, I want you to know we're glad you're here. Stay as long as you need to grow and mature and be discipled in your faith. If you're a college student and you're checking out church for the first time or just moved to Austin, we're glad you're here. Hang out. Figure out this is where you want your church home to be. If you're in a wounded place, if you're hurting, if, if you've been hurt by the church or hurt by somebody and you just need a few, um, a few moments of your life to heal, I want you to know we're glad you're here. Stay here as long as you need to to heal. But if you're here and all you're doing is punching the church card on Sunday and then living your life the rest of the time, if all you're doing is just showing up on a Sunday and punching the church card and that's it with absolutely no intention whatsoever of getting in the fight or living your life on mission for God, or or, or asking and begging God to see the truth and the reality of Ephesians 3.20 lived out in your life, if that's where you're at and you have no desire or no plan for that, I want you to know that we would like you to strongly consider leaving our church. We really would. I'm sure that there's a lot of churches around the city that would love to have you. I'm sure they'd love your money and 
I'm sure they'd love for you to take up one of your seats or one of their seats. Because if that's where you're at and that's where you're planning on staying, we love you. We really do. We really love you. But we don't need your money. And we could use your seat. I don't know how much time, I say that because I don't know how much time I have left. I really don't. I don't know if I've got 10 days or 50 years, but I do know this. I want to spend the rest of the time I do have with people that believe. With people that believe and act on the truth that our God is able to do far more abundantly than anything we can ask or think. And I asked you the question at the beginning of the sermon. Do you really believe that God is as powerful as Ephesians 3.20 says he is? If you do, are you willing to let your life reflect it? Let's pray. As our heads are bowed, I got to believe that the spectrum of where we're at today in this room is broad and varying. And so some of you in this place... have never seen God move powerfully through you, may have seen God move powerfully in you, but not through you. And, and, and today would be an amazing day to just say, God, I, I struggle with belief in this, but, but I'm open and would, would you help my unbelief and, and help me to dream and help me to think and help me to imagine so that I can come before you and ask because I believe you're a God that's able to do far more abundantly than I can ask. Some of you, God has given you a dream, but you're too scared to ask him for it. Today's a good day to start asking. And some of you are on the sidelines. And you've been on the sidelines for a long time. You are the light of this world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You are to be to the praise of the glory of God. You're to walk in the newness of life. You are to trample the gates of hell. That is who you are. That is your name. That is your calling. Ask God to change your heart. Pray bold prayers. Ask great things. For our God is great. Lord, we we do love you. And and Lord, I pray that for all the prayers you just heard in this room, you'd be faithful to do what you said you'd do. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand together.